You can be seated. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be at Temple again. I love your pastor very dearly, and I'm excited about this week. We're going to be studying this week uh, through Wednesday night the New Covenant. When you mention New Covenant to the average church goer, they look at you confused and puzzled. What's the New Covenant? It's sad that most people from my generation were taught that we were saved by grace, but we were sanctified by keeping the law. And uh, as I studied the New Covenant, it was probably the most exciting study that I've ever done in my life. I've been preaching now for 52 years. And uh, I'm so excited about the new covenant. And I'm excited about sharing this truth with you. Uh, tonight, we're going to be going through the different covenants in the Bible. And uh, you'll see the Old Testament and the New Testament come together. And so I hope you're back this evening at 5 o'clock and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And when we're, oh, when we're done and, and the meeting is over, you're going to love Jesus more than you did when we started. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Our love is a response to his love. And the only way I can love him more is to have a greater perception of his love for me. And the more I know and understand his love for me, the more I love him in return. And we're going to see by studying the new covenant that it's all Jesus. Amen. And you're going to discover just how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. So I hope you'll be here for uh, this week of Bible studies. Uh, we're going to begin this morning uh, with talking about... The, the end of the new covenant, uh, what the new covenant means. Uh, if you'll turn with me to Job chapter 9 and uh, in verses 1 and 2, the scripture says, then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth. But how should a man be just with God? The word just means to be right or in a right standing with God. How should a man be just with God? This question has intrigued man for hundreds and thousands of years. And as a result to this question, hundreds of different religions and all kinds of doctrines have been created as an answer to this question. How should a man be just with God? This question may seem simple at first, but it becomes more intriguing when you understand that man is a sinner. 
How can a sinful man be right or just with God? You see, we are all sinners. The Bible teaches that we're sinners by conception. Uh, It was the psalmist who said, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. We were all born with a sin nature. And just as a baby alligator is drawn to the water, we are drawn to sin because of our nature. We're all sinners by conception. Uh, You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to do wrong. It takes a lifetime of training and instruction to teach our children to do right. But we do by nature those things that are wrong because we were all conceived with a sin nature. We're not only sinners by conception, but we're sinners through and by our conduct. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the word come short simply means we've missed the mark. It's an archer's term. We've all missed the bullseye. And it doesn't matter if you miss this far or if you miss this far. When you miss, you miss. We're all sinners Because of our conduct. Number three, we're sinners by choice. We're sinners not only by conception and not only by our conduct. But we're sinners because we chose to be sinners. The Bible says this is condemnation. That man loved darkness rather than light. You see, there was a time when every person in this room came to a crossroads. Death and life were before us. Light and darkness were before us. Wrong and right were before us. Hell and heaven were before us. Righteousness and unrighteousness were before us. And without exception, We all chose darkness. We all chose sin. Every one of us are sinners by conception. We're sinners because of our conduct. We're sinners because it was our choice. With that in mind, Job asked the question, How should a man be just with God? How can an individual who is a sinner by birth, a sinner by his conduct, a sinner because he chose to be a sinner, how can a sinful man be right with God? To understand the answer to this question, I'm going to go to the book of Romans. 
It's been said many times that all roads lead to Rome. And that's true in scripture. All doctrinal roads lead to the book of Romans. And so to answer this most important question, I want you to look with me in Romans. And we're going to turn to chapter number 3. And look in verse 25 of Romans chapter 3. Uh, the Bible says, I like that, the Bible says, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. You see that? He is righteousness. He is righteousness. Whose righteousness? He is righteousness. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness emphasizing that it's his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And then in chapter 4 and verse 25, Paul said, who was delivered for our offenses. That's just another way of saying Christ died for our sins. He was delivered for our offenses, watch this, and was raised again for our justification. Now there are three words in the scriptures I've shared that are necessary to understand if we're going to learn the answer to Job's question. How should a man be just with God? The first word that I want you to see is the word just. The Bible says that God is just in verse 26 that he might be just. God is holy. Say it with me. God is holy. He's always been holy. He always will be holy. God is holy. God's standard has always been perfection. God's standard has always been perfection because God is just and God is holy. There's never been a time in eternity past when God has ever compromised his holiness. And there'll never be a time in eternity future when God would ever compromise his Holiness. God is just. God is holy. God 
is holy. It's not that God doesn't lie. God can't lie because he's holy. It's not that God doesn't do wrong. He can't do wrong because God is holy. He's holy. His words are holy. His thoughts are holy. His judgments are holy. Even his love is holy. Consider that God is just. God is holy. And he would never compromise his holiness. Therefore, here we are, we're sinners. God is just. And even though God loves us, God could not say, I know that you've sinned. I know that you've done wrong, but I love you. I want you to spend eternity with me. So we're just going to sweep your sins under the rug. And we're going to overlook the fact that you're a sinner. And you can come live with me forever. No, God couldn't do that. He could not do that. God could not overlook the fact that we're sinners because God is holy. He's holy. God is just. Number two, if you'll notice in the scriptures, the Bible says, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness That he might be just and the justifier. That he might be just and the justifier. I want you to look at the word justifier. When God created everything that you see, there was only one thing that God said was not good. And that was the loneliness in man's heart. Man wanted companionship. Why? Because he was created in the likeness and in the image of God. God wanted companionship. God wanted someone that he could love and would love him in return. God wanted someone that he could experience intimacy with. And the Bible teaches that intimacy could only be experienced with those of their own kind. How is God going to achieve this? When there were three things that God's holiness demanded in order for man to be just or justified. Number one, God demanded a sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice. Sin's penalty had to be paid. And this sacrifice had to be a man. It had to be a human sacrifice. And here's why. We were not lost because of a goat 
or a ram or a bullock. That's why the Bible said it was not possible. And that expression not possible in the Greek simply means it was not possible. It was not possible for us to be redeemed by the blood of goats and bulls or bullocks because we were not lost by bulls and goats and bullocks. We were lost because of a man. And listen carefully. The cure had to be in the likeness of the cause. I'm going to say that again. The cure had to be in the likeness of the cause. If you go back to the book of Numbers chapter 21. When the people spoke against God and they spoke against Moses, the Bible said the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and bit the people and much people died. The word fiery means venomous. I don't know what kind of snakes they were, but they were extremely poisonous. And when they bit you, you died. And people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. And we want you to pray, intercede on our behalf. And so Moses prays for the people. And God said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a serpent out of brass. Wait a minute. People were sick and they were dying because of serpents. And now God is saying, I want you to make a serpent and put it on a pole. You see, the cure had to be in the likeness of the cause. God said it'll come to pass that whosoever's been bitten, when they look on the serpent, they'll live. The cure had to be, when you get bit by a rattlesnake and you're rushed to the emergency room, do you know what they give you as the antidote? The cure is in the likeness of the cause. So in order for God to remain holy, in order for God to remain just, there had to be a sacrifice and this sacrifice had to be a man. Number two, the sacrifice had to be perfect. Because God is holy, the sacrifice had to be without spot. It had to be without blemish. In the Old Testament, when they would bring an offering to the Lord, the high priest would inspect the offering. And if there were any blemishes in or on that offering, it was disqualified. If it had a bad eye or a bad ear, if there was a scab or a scurvy, if it had a problem, if one of its legs turned out or one of its legs had been broken, if there were any flaws in the sacrifice, it was disqualified. Because God 
is holy and his standard has always been perfection. So in order for God to remain holy, there had to be a sacrifice. This sacrifice had to be a man and this man had to be perfect, had to be without sin. There could be no spots, there could be no blemishes in this human sacrifice. Number three, this sacrifice had to die. Blood had to be shed. Throughout the Old Testament, there was the shedding of blood as an atonement or a covering for sin. We sing songs about the blood and and I love songs about the blood. There is a fountain filled with blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But have you ever wondered why it took blood? As a matter of fact, God said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. This human sacrifice had to die. This human sacrifice had to shed blood. And here's why. God told Adam, when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, God said, you can eat of every tree freely except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And you know the story. The wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. And in order for God to remain holy, there had to be a sacrifice. This sacrifice had to be perfect and the sacrifice had to die and shed blood because the penalty for sin is death. Watch this. Everybody look here. The opposite of death is what? The only way to abolish death is with life. And life is in the blood. That's why God said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Here's God who desired companionship. It's not that God needed companionship, but he wanted companionship. He wanted to be loved. He wanted to experience intimacy. And this intimacy could only occur with those of their own kind. Since man 
had fallen into sin. God created man in his own image, in his own likeness, or after his own kind. But then man sinned. And now there's a gulf between God and man. Man is a sinner, God is holy. Man is depraved, God is holy. But that didn't stop God from wanting a family. That didn't stop God from wanting to experience intimacy. And since man could only be redeemed by a human sacrifice, a perfect man, a man that was willing to die and shed his blood, where was such a man? When we've all sinned and come short of the glory, where would God find such a man? So, in order for God to remain holy, God said, I'll become the justifier. Since man fell from where I was, I'll go to where he is. And I'll take upon myself a robe of flesh. I'll be made after his kind. And I'll live a life that he could not live for himself. A life of perfection. And that's who Jesus was. He was God in the flesh. He lived approximately 12,000 days and every day of his life was a monument of holiness. He said, I do always those things which please the Father. No wonder God spoke out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And as a man, Jesus shed his blood. He went to a hill called Calvary and he died. So we see God remaining just. And in order to redeem mankind, he became the justifier. Do you see that? But there's a third thing I want you to see. In Romans chapter 4, the last verse tells us that he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. There's a third word I want to bring to your attention. And that's the word justified or justification. I've heard the definition of being justified this way for many, many years. Just as if I'd never sinned. And that is true. When we're justified... It is as though we have never sinned. That's part of the new covenant. 
their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. But actually, justification goes farther than just our sins being removed. It is deeper than being as though I had never sinned. When we're justified, there's not only a removal of our sins, but there is an application of righteousness. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul establishes the fact that we're all sinners. We've all sinned. And then in chapters 4 and 5, he begins to talk about justification. There are three words that he used. He used the word accounted or counted. He used the word impute. He used the word reckoned. And all three words come from the same Greek word, and they all have the same meaning. And this is what it means. Look here for just a moment. It means to transfer from one's account, just as a bank transaction, to transfer from one's account into the account of another. And that's what happened when we were saved, when we were converted. God not only forgave us of all of our sins, never to be remembered against us anymore, and that included our past sins, our present sins, even our future sins. But God took the righteousness of Jesus and God transferred his righteousness into our account. And that's why we're saved. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my wretchedness. He doesn't see those filthy rags but he sees the righteousness of Christ. But wait a minute. Was Jesus righteous? Oh, yes. You say, but preacher, are you sure he was righteous? I am sure. How, how can we know that Jesus was righteous? How can we know that he is enough? Let me read the verse. Who was delivered for our offenses. Watch this. And was raised again for our justification. How do I know Jesus was righteous? Because he rose from the dead. I know he was righteous because he got up out of the grave. The wages of sin is what? Death. The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
When lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. Therefore, death couldn't keep Jesus in the grave because he had no sin. He got up. Death bowed in defeat because he had no sin. Did you know if Jesus had ever had one impure thought? Committed one impure deed? Had he ever spoken one impure word or taken one impure step? He would be in the grave even today. But thank God death couldn't hold him because he had no sin. You say, preacher, are you sure he was righteous? I'm sure. I'm sure he was raised for our justification. Did you know when Jesus died and was buried, and of course it was reported that his body was missing, they searched and searched and searched for his body? Think about this. All they would have had to have done was produce the dead body of Jesus. That's all they would have had to have done, and there would be no church. There would be no such thing as Christianity. The disciples declared that he rose from the dead. We saw him. We handled him with our own hands. He lives, he lives, he lives. Had they produced the dead body of Jesus, it would have been over but they couldn't find him. They searched and they searched and they searched, but they could not find his body. And you know why, and I know why. Because he came up out of the grave. I mean, he knocked out both ends of the grave and declared himself to be Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning of the end. And he said, I'm he that was dead, but I'm now alive and alive forevermore. Do I know Jesus was righteous? Do I know Jesus was righteous? Duh. I know he was righteous because he got up out of the grave. And when I came to him in the rags of my sins, his righteousness was transferred to my account. That's why Paul said twice to declare unto you His righteousness. You see, it's all Jesus. He rose for our justification. Father, time met King Death. He was sitting by a tomb. Hello, good friend. I guess you're here to seal somebody's doom.
You might say that, sly death replied as a smile came across his face. For inside lies that Jesus man who said he would save the race. Now I'm the conqueror, you know. They don't talk back to me. When I step in and smite a man, it's for all eternity. Well, I can testify to that, Father Time replied. But I haven't seen one shake the dust since you were in your pride. Father Time said, I must go and cause the sun to rise. But I'll see you when I come back again to make another day. So Father Time passed up the hill to cause the sun to rise and left death standing by the tomb, so mighty and so wise. The next day, time passed again, and he was quite surprised to see. He said, I've got it messed up. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start it all over. Is that okay? I've got time. Father Time passed by a tomb. I can't even remember the first of it. That's, that's okay. That's fine. The point is, he lives. Amen. He lives. Amen. He lives. Amen. He lives. Amen. I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question. Has the righteousness of Jesus ever been transferred to your account. Has his righteousness ever been transferred to you? That's what makes us saved. It's not going to church. It's not living a good life. It's his righteousness being transferred to us. Has that ever taken place? If it's not, then you've never been saved. If it has, I'm glad to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. And that is the only reason I'm saved and going to heaven. I want you to stand with me, if you will, all over the building. They say three strikes, you're out, right? Father Time met King Death. <laughs> he was sitting by a tomb. Hello, good friend. I guess you're here to seal somebody's doom. You might say that, Sly Death replied as a smile came across his face, for inside lies that Jesus man who said he would save the race. Say, death, why are you watching just one grave with all your vast domain? Looks to me like you'd be rambling round, smiting folk with pain. Well, this one's something special. He challenged me, they say. Said he would lay here just three days, then get up and walk away. Now, I'm the conqueror, you know. They don't talk back to me. When I step in and smite a man, it's for all eternity. Well, I can testify to that, Father Time replied. Haven't seen one shake the dust since you were in your pride. 
But I've got things to do, so I must be on my way. But I'll see you when I come back again to make another day. So Father Time climbed up the hill to cause the sun to rise and left death standing by the tomb so mighty and so wise. The next day, time passed again. How are things, he queried. Kind of quiet, old death replied. I'm starting to get a little wearied. But I won't be here when you come by about this time tomorrow. I'm anxious to get on my way to spread more grief and sorrow. But the next day, time passed again. And he was quite surprised to see old death quivering on the ground in frightful agony. His eyes were set, his cloak was marred, his clothes in disarray. And it wasn't difficult for time to see that old death had had his day. What happened, death? asked Father Time. What makes you look so bad? Well, I've never seen you look this way so weak and oh so sad. Death pulled himself upon a rock. He was looking sick and humble. He hung his head and wrung his hands. And time could hear death mumble. I was standing here at the break of day just about to take my stroll. When all at once everything just seemed to rock and roll. The stone moved from the door and skipped on down the hill. And all at once, everything grew very quiet and still. And then I saw him standing in the door. He did not move nor speak. And all at once, I felt myself becoming tired and weak. Then he came out of the grave and got a hold of me. And he threw me on the ground. He placed his foot upon my neck. And then he took away my crown. Then he took away my keys and he placed them on his side. And now I must go and face old Satan and tell him that I lied. For I made a promise to Satan. I vowed to hold him down. But with power like I've never seen, Jesus came forth from the ground. I'm glad he lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. Because he lives within my heart. Does he live in your heart? I don't think the devil wanted me to say that this morning. I'm glad he's alive and his righteousness has been imputed unto me and it can be imputed unto you. If you don't know him, I beg you this morning to come. He loves you. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He will impart his righteousness and when God looks at you, he won't see your past. He won't see your sins and your failures, but he'll see the righteousness of his dear son. Let's sing together.